This is Sports View, WNUL's premier sports talk show featuring guests from Thundering Herd Athletics. Sports View is presented by the award-winning FM 88 Sports Team. Tonight's host of Sports View. Good evening and welcome into Sports View, tonight's edition that features the voice of the Thundering Herd, the radio voice of the Thundering Herd, Steve Cotton. I'm your host, Andrew Rogers. To follow in the second half, Ben Cower will sit down with the Marshall softball team. Steve, first though, thanks for joining us here on the set. Glad to have you with us. Oh, certainly glad to be here. Let's start, obviously, with getting into broadcasting. When was that something that you knew you wanted to pursue and obviously now here with the herd for several years. You know, I actually know the exact date that uh, that journey began, and it's just over 50 years ago, as a matter of fact. My seventh birthday, so 1971, May the 12th, 1971, my parents gave me a little transistor radio for my birthday. And uh, I actually grew up sort of in the backwoods of northern Michigan. And when I talk about backwoods, uh, literally went to a one-room country schoolhouse, like Little House in the Prairie. We were so far out and away Mm -hmm. from any towns. And the school's still going. My cousin's kids recently finished up there. It's kindergarten through eighth grade and has a a row of bookcases down the middle of the room. And uh, the little kids on one side and the big kids on the other. So not enough. When I was there, we had uh, as few as about 25 students in the whole school, kindergarten through eighth grade. So we didn't have sports teams or anything like that. And uh, my family wasn't into sports. So just had no background in it whatsoever. But my parents gave me that radio for uh, my seventh birthday. And I remember, I don't know if it was that night, but within the first few days after that, first couple of days, I was lying in bed, kind of tuning through different music stations on the dial and came across a broadcast of the Detroit Tigers baseball team. And they, uh, I didn't have any clue at the time, but they had one of the all-time great radio play-by-play men in Ernie Harwell, who was uh, well into a career of 40 years calling the Detroit Tigers, and he'd already been in Major League Baseball for several years prior to that. So uh, I was just, even though I didn't know what this man was talking about, I was enthralled. All the sounds and not only his descriptions of the game itself, but uh, you could hear the organist there at the stadium and the uh, hot dog vendors kind of hawking their stuff mm-hmm. out in the stands. So all those sounds, I just thought, that is so interesting. And again, didn't know what in the world he was talking about in terms of baseball. So I was literally a fan of sports on the radio before I was even a sports fan. And after that, you know, over the, that summer and uh, the, the couple of years that followed, I got to know more and more about baseball but also that station in uh, the station came out of Cadillac, Michigan, would in the summer after the baseball games ended play the CBS Radio Mystery Theater. And it was radio dramas. And so I was hooked on radio, loved it from the young age, again, starting at seven years old. And I uh, didn't know that at that time I would end up making a career in radio, but I was certainly a radio fan from that point on. You mentioned Mr. Hallwell. Was there anybody else along, especially when you were younger, and even maybe 
uh, into your college days and all that sort of thing that you kind of picked up on? You're like, okay, I kind of like that guy. I want to continue to maybe mold myself after any other broadcasters. I didn't necessarily – I certainly had guys I was a fan of, and uh, the late Dick Enberg was one I noticed right away because he had gone to Central Michigan University and was a classmate with one of my uncles. Mm -hmm. And so once I became a sports fan, my uncle pointed out that guy to me, and uh, he was one of the great broadcasters, one of the most versatile of all time. When you would turn on a big event on TV, Dick Enberg was often one of the guys there. I remember uh, what uh, a great voice Keith Jackson was once I, a few years later. I was baseball, baseball, baseball for the first few years. But once I started paying attention to college football, Keith Jackson was on. And, and there weren't many broadcasts. You had your one game on Saturday, yeah. and uh, Keith Jackson was the voice there. So uh, he, he was one uh, who I knew right away. When you heard that voice, you knew something important was happening. And uh, there was a... a man who did the radio play-by-play -play for the University of Michigan named Bob Eufer. And he was an entirely different kind of a broadcaster. He uh, was kind of a rah-rah cheerleader type and totally unlike any of the national guys who kind of have to call a game down the middle. Mm -hmm. And unlike Ernie Harwell, who was certainly the Tigers broadcaster and called games from the point of view of a Tiger fan, but uh, was also very appreciative of the other team making a good play and, and that sort of thing. He just appreciated good baseball. But uh, Bob Eufer, on the other hand, he was all maize and blue of Michigan, and it was kind of a, a crazy broadcast, certainly not the style that I emulate in any way, but as a youngster, it was certainly exciting. And that's the kind of thing that as a kid, when you don't really know the ins and outs of the broadcast of the game, the, the broadcast is what pulls you in. And so uh, it was different. It was exciting. He was hooting and hollering and yelling all through the broadcast. And so he's another one that I remember. And he stood out from my early days of paying attention to sports on the radio. Let's talk about your previous steps before joining the Thundering Herd Sports Network and being the voice of the herd, obviously a stop at Carson Newman. You eventually land here in Marshall. Uh, didn't initially, weren't the initial radio voice of the herd to cook a couple of years, worked with Stan Cotton. So talk about your journey before that and how it led you to this opportunity. Jump back uh, to Michigan. And when I got to high school, the company that my parents both worked for, Bear Archery, they made bows and arrows, moved from Grayling, Michigan to Gainesville, Florida. So I spent high school right there in Gainesville with the University of Florida. Really never even looked at other schools. UF was right there. And at that point, I was still not thinking about a broadcasting career, even though by then I knew that I uh, thought that that would be a great job. Mm -hmm. But and, and sort of imagined myself doing that a little bit. But uh, I was also fairly realistic and thought and was still focused pretty much on baseball in terms of if, if there were to be any broadcast career. And so you know that there are, you know, 30 jobs out there as a play-by-play -play guy, and they don't leave. I mean, Ernie Harwell was at that point, you know, 25 years into his Tiger career that would end up being 40 years. And so those jobs just don't come open very often. I was an electrical engineering major at the University of Florida and made it into my junior year. I, at that point, came to realize there was no way I could see myself sitting 
at a computer designing computer chips mm -hmm. at a desk all, all my, you know, for the next 40 years or whatever. So I knew that wasn't for me. I was probably going to change within engineering to maybe like civil engineering, a kind of job where I could be out on the site, outdoors, seeing things. But I also, because of where I was in the year, knew that I was basically kind of out of sorts for a semester. I thought, you know what, it's gonna, I'm not going to get back into the engineering, the, the routine, the, the, the prerequisites and all that kind of thing mm -hmm. until next fall. I'm going to take one semester of broadcasting classes. I have always said, and I thought Ernie Harwell had the greatest job in the world. And let's see if, uh, you know, maybe I, I always, you know, I called games in my head out in the backyard playing, you know, basketball by myself or whatever. Mm -hmm. So let's see if I really could do this. And I took that one semester and never thought about anything else. I knew I was hooked on radio at that point and wanted to give it a shot. Joining Marshall here and joining the Thundering Herd Sports Network, what has been the biggest transition for you to getting the voice and being the voice of the herd to really now? What was the biggest transition? It's over 25-plus uh, years now you've been here. So what's been the biggest transition? How have you learned the most uh, with your time here? And how have you kind of uh, um, more so transitioned your calls of games from the beginning? I don't know that I actually call games a whole lot differently than, than at first, but I was extremely lucky when I uh, came here, and again, I, I, I had uh, worked at Carson Newman, now university, at that time Carson Newman College, for four years. It was my first job out of the University of Florida with Stan Cotton. You mentioned him. No relation. His name's C-O-T-T-E-N. I'm C-O-T-T-O-N. But uh, one of my best friends in the world, his daughters call me Uncle Steve, so it's uh, pretty, uh, it's understandable why most people think we're related on several different levels there. But uh, I had gone back from Carson Newman to the University of Florida. I called women's basketball and baseball at UF. And then a year later, Stan left Carson Newman. He became the play-by-play -play guy here at Marshall. Mm -hmm. Well, I had sort of set as a deadline for me being, you know, if I can't make this career work by the time I'm 30 years old, it's time to think about what my real job's going to be. It's going to be time to, to grow up and move on. And so I was approaching 30 years of age, and I said, you know what, it's, uh, it's, it didn't work out for me. I, you know, I was able to call games, but never at the point where I was making much money. And uh, even at, at that point, while I was at the University of Florida doing radio for the Gators, but my main income at that time came from driving a forklift, a forklift at that bow and arrow company that mm -hmm. my parents had worked for. So I decided to go to graduate school. I was planning to go back to Central Michigan University near the closest school to where I had grown up. And Stan really uh, decided that that was a bad move for me, even more than I believed in myself. He said, you know what? You need to keep striving for that radio career. You can do it, and you need to come to Marshall. We'll put you to work as our sideline reporter, and we'll uh, figure out a way to make grad school work, and so on and so forth. So. I did that. It worked out well. Stan was kind enough to uh, leave Marshall and get the radio job at Wake Forest University when I needed the job and uh, got his job and I've been there ever since. So back to your original question, what's changed? The uh, technology is different. Once upon a time, it was all about, uh, and a good part of my job, aside from being on air, was recruiting stations on a radio network 
and affiliate relations and because you, you needed to be you needed to have a radio signal that could reach anywhere fans wanted to listen or they were out of luck a whole lot different now people anywhere can uh, use their phone listen on the app you know, it's funny you get uh, reports of who utilized the uh, app and listened uh, so they can check those back at uh, Learfield our multimedia rights holder and Every week you can see that somebody was listening in Bangladesh or Mongolia or anywhere in Europe. So that's kind of crazy. And that's probably as big a difference as anything in uh, how people consume their media from the time I began. But in terms of calling the games, the nuts and bolts, uh, you know, the equipment's a little bit different. Everything's digital now and was analog when I first began. But it didn't take too long till we went digital with pretty much everything. And, and since then... After that was the main change, minor tweaks in the kinds of equipment and that kind of thing. But as far as uh, that, that really doesn't make a, di a whole lot of difference in the way my life moves from day to day in calling games. You mentioned, and this is more of a personal question here, you mentioned electrical engineering major. So when you first stepped foot and did some Florida women's basketball and then joined the Thundering Herd Sports Network, was it a challenge for you not having a ton of experience and going to school for that? Was it a challenge starting out for you to kind of grow and develop uh, as a sports broadcaster initially because of not having really, quote-unquote, a long background with it? You know, it, it wasn't, and I probably, uh, had I been smarter about everything, it would have been more of mm -hmm. that. But I still had in my mind, oh, I'll go be a civil engineer. You know, I was a good student in engineering, so that part wasn't going to be a problem. I was just kind of having fun for a semester. And so there wasn't a whole lot of pressure on me right then. Now, of course, going on air, you're nervous the first few times you do that for a sports cast. And uh, the University of Florida, uh, the campus radio station is actually a, com a commercial AM-FM station. And so we were tossed in right away to, you know, ratings mattered and you needed to get uh, the commercials played or people didn't get paid. And all yep. of a sudden that's a problem. So there's a little bit of pressure once you got on air. But again, I, I said, well, if this doesn't work, I'm you know, right back as an engineering student. So I never felt it really that way. We'll take a break. Steve Cotton, the voice of the Thundering Herd, is with us here on SportsView. Take a break. Talk more with Steve here on SportsView. You will die today, old man. I know why you are here. You are here because you do not like WMUL. Oh no, WMUL is my favorite radio station. It plays the best variety in the tri-state area. I actually came because you killed my father, swine merchant, prepared to die. You have tasted 88.1 WMUL's cutting edge. Now you will perish on mine. 88.1. The cutting edge. Welcome to Marshall University. We hope you enjoy your stay. But we know sometimes college students can get a little down. Introducing the cutting edge of all ailments, WMUL. Feeling homesick? No problem. WMUL will keep you company all day long, from our 6 a.m. morning shows until late night alternative. Tired of pinching pennies? Then WMUL is perfect for you. Marshall's very own radio station is 100% commercial free. We hope you enjoy our presentation, and don't forget to listen to 88.1 WMUL.
back to Sports View. I'm Andrew Rogers, joined by the vo radio voice of the Thundering Herd Sports Network, Steve Cotton. Steve, obviously this is a sports broadcasting business where a lot of people would like to move up sometimes when you get a job. Uh, you can always look for another one, but you're in your 25th year now uh, as the radio voice. So what, what determined for you that Marshall would be your final stop? Maybe, well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Is it not? Maybe not. Be our final well, spot. Well, I believe but, at this point it probably yeah. is. Uh, I'm getting kind of old for um, a whole lot of schools to be wanting to to hire the old guy. <laughs> but uh, that wasn't in my head necessarily at the start. In fact, when I first came to Marshall in 1993, as a graduate student, I was figuring I'd be in Huntington, West Virginia, for a year, maybe 18 months, and then mm -hmm. uh, you know find my next stop. And uh, talked earlier about how Stan Cotton encouraged me to stick around. And even after I finished the degree, the degree it was uh, more than a year before Stan got the job at Wake Forest University. And again, he kept encouraging me, don't, uh, don't give up on that dream. It's, it's just that close. And so that part worked out. I got the job. Now, Marshall had been fortunate in its radio broadcast history. There were some really talented, very good play-by-play -play announcers. 1987, one year, Bill Roth, who went on from there to Virginia Tech and is in the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame and now uh, kind of is a professor in the sports media program at Virginia Tech, but calls games on ESPN and different platforms. After he left, you had uh, Wes Durham come through for a year, the son of Woody Durham, one of the all-time legendary sports broadcasters at the University of North Carolina. But Wes has become a legend himself does the Atlanta Falcons now and a lot of uh, ACC network sports. And then you had Stan, who was here for four years, really talented guys. And I was nervous if I could fill those shoes. There were high expectations. Marshall had done really good radio. Mm -hmm. And fortunately for me, one of the lucky breaks is that uh, my first game as Marshall's play-by-play -play announcer was also Randy Moss's first game as a Marshall football player. So that first year, 15-0, Marshall dominates the 1AA level, wins the national championship. And I spent all fall saying touchdown hurt over and over and over again. And so that is a big part of the way the listening audience is going to enjoy your broadcast if they're having fun. And so they were all loving it. They thought the guy who says touchdown heard many times every game must be doing a good job because they're enjoying what he hears. So, and the Marshall football team went 50-4 and four my first four years. So there were a whole lot of great days, not very many bad days. And I think that helped the Marshall listeners feel comfortable with me right away, made me feel at home very quickly. And at that point, uh, again, I don't know at what juncture I stopped thinking about other jobs, but fairly early on, I knew I had it pretty good, that this was a good spot. The grass is not always greener, especially than the uh, Kelly Green folks. And so mm -hmm. I was going to be pretty picky. And honestly, I have... I've applied for a couple of jobs, not for many years at this point. A couple of other opportunities have come looking for me, but I have never advanced far enough on either direction there that I did an official interview for another job. So at some point along the way, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years in to what is now you know, 25 years as the voice of Marshall Sports, I really uh, 
stopped thinking about that and said, you know, if, if this is my one and only spot, that's pretty cool too. Yeah. Let's talk about some of your milestones. Obviously, even this past weekend, you get inducted into the West Virginia Broadcasting Hall of Fame, 14-time uh, Sportscaster of the Year here in West Virginia. Uh, over 1,000 broadcasts, you surpassed that last year. So what does all that kind of say for you, and how do you kind of take all that in now that you're in the uh, West Virginia Broadcasting Hall of Fame as well? That is gratifying. I, you know, It's kind of cool when people say they think that you've done a pretty good job. But again, I look at it as... I've been lucky to be at Marshall University, which has a fan base that cares about sports. They are interested, they are involved, and I get to uh, be a part of that. And even though uh, we talked about the way that the uh, way we consume media is very different, it is still uh, a, a medium that's important to sports fans. And in fact, a story I'll tell here is one that I uh, told during the West Virginia Broadcasting Hall of Fame induction ceremony. That really was driven home to me about 10 or 12 years ago now. We were at a Marshall Athletics fundraising event. The Big Green does its coaches tour every summer. And after the event, we were packed up. All the coaches and administrators had uh, given their speeches. We were ready to hit the road and head back to Huntington. And a man came walking up to me. And you could tell that uh, he'd had kind of a tough life. He uh, had a real slow shuffle of a walk. In fact, every time he took a step, you kind of worried that he might lose his balance. You could tell he was having to focus just mm -hmm. to walk. And he had a football and a Sharpie. And uh, not that I get asked to sign autographs every day, but it, it happens every once in a while, and especially at events like that. Mm -hmm. And he said, Mr. Cotton, would you please sign my football for me? And I said, well, of course I would. Well, I took it. Well, then I looked down at the ball. And it had three autographs on it already. You had Bob Pruitt, Chad Pennington, and Randy Moss. That's good company. And well, and I, but I said, uh, sir, let's see if we can. I, we've got other things here for me to sign. Said the way these things work is that this is a valuable football. You've got legends, Hall of mm -hmm. Famers here. And the minute I sign my name on that, the value drops to all the collectors. And uh, so let's go ahead and find something else. And he just uh, looked at me. And he said, I am not going to bore you with all the details, but I've had a tough time of things the last few years. And I don't get out of the house much. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there and I look at this football and it reminds me of the greatest times of my life. I loved going to those games in Huntington. My friends and I traveled to the bowl games and the other big games. And those are my very happiest memories. And when I think about those big games and those big plays, I hear you narrating it all in my head. And I am not ever going to sell this football. I don't care what the collectors say the value is. Mm -hmm. And then he said, and it is late and I am tired and would you please just sign my blankety blank football? And so I went ahead and I wrecked the value of, of, of his football. <laughs> And the thing is, that is not a story about me. I'm a bit part there in the story of radio and how that man connected with Marshall and with the uh, Thundering Herd teams through that radio the same way that, you know, now 50 years ago, I was connecting with my best buddy, Ernie, whom I had never met by listening to the Detroit Tigers. I want to transition here from the final few minutes that we have here with you on Sports View to some of the things you like to do when not calling games. Obviously, I know 
Uh, you're big into wood carving. That's something that you found a passion for, but also uh, into the martial record books and kind of finding more things about the numbers there. So what role have you played in that aspect? Yeah, I am employed by the athletic department, and uh, I work in sort of the media relations and external area of the department. And one of the things that had been frustrating is uh, that over the years, Marshall, for whatever reasons, and there are several of them, mostly not having a very big staff, Marshall didn't have a very good record book. And so those first years when I was doing the play-by-play with Randy Moss and then Chad Pennington and Byron Leftwich, it was always a little bit frustrating to say, ooh, that might be an all-time record, but we don't really know. Yeah. And then I was really sparked again when we hit the uh, Rakeem Cato and Tommy Schuler era. And I said, this cannot go on. I'm the one guy who uh, is interested, number one, has a time of year when I'm not especially busy with broadcasting and that kind of thing from the end of basketball season until you get to fall camp for football. Mm -hmm. And I had the support then of uh, Marshall Athletic Director Mike Hamrick, who as a Marshall alum and a longtime athletic director realized how important those kinds of things were. So he said, yes, I want you to dedicate your time in, uh, when, when you have time, and it's going to take years, to building up the record book. So I worked backwards through Marshall's history and game by game put together uh, what is now a, a record book that is well over 200 pages long, eight and a half by 11 pages. When I started, it was a few pages, maybe uh, 15 or 20 pages in the media guide. So now we have a separate record book, and there's much more to do there. So I'm into history in general. And I uh, like the research, and I, uh, so that, that's been something that's helpful. And frankly, long after I'm gone and nobody remembers who that guy was who did Marshall Radio during those years, that record book and that kind of research is going to be useful to Marshall Athletics. The other thing you mentioned, uh, wood carving, was that my dad was a woodworker. And my whole life, I've been around that. Uh, he taught my 4-H woodworking class. And after mom and dad retired in Florida, they moved back to the uh, family farm in Michigan. So they kind of got it backwards from most of the retirees. <laughs> but uh, dad picked up wood carving. A friend of his said, you know, you're a, a woodworker and there's a big wood carving show that uh, goes on every summer for a few days, not far, less than an hour, or maybe a little over an hour from where they live. So he got into that, and one summer I'd go on vacation up there uh, for a good part of July every year. And I uh, was sitting there, and I looked down, he had a wooden cowboy boot, and I said, oh, hey, uh, what's that about? And he said, oh, yeah, I uh, took up carving, and uh, I said, you know, you've always been all right at woodworking. A few minutes later, he, he took off, and he came back in, gave me a little knife, and uh, a piece of wood cut roughly into the shape of a cowboy boot and said, see what you can do with that, and I kind of got hooked on it. One final question here for you, Steve. Uh, over, obviously, the course of now 25 years, this being your 25th year as being the radio voice of the Thundering Herd, favorite game that you have called, maybe most memorable game, and which one and why? Ooh, and it's, it's hard a tough to pick one. one. Yeah, yeah, there are uh, a handful that certainly stand out. And when you win championships, that is uh, a big part of when the team's successful. So you're right off the bat, 1996, that 15-0 season. The Montana game in the national championship game at Edwards Stadium, a blowout win over Montana in a revenge game. Montana had beaten Marshall in the national championship game here in Huntington. 
the year before that. So that whole uh, ser series of events was amazing. Not necessarily one game. Uh, you pick out a great game. You had uh, on the football side, 1999 Mid-American Conference Championship game. Marshall was undefeated, ended up 13-0, and ranked number 10 in the country. And it was all hanging in the balance in the MAC championship game against Western Michigan, a team that Marshall had beaten up in Kalamazoo earlier in the year. But all of a sudden, it's the middle of the third quarter, and Western Michigan leads that game 23 to nothing. And at that time, the Mid-American Conference had only one bowl tie-in. So if Marshall loses that game, you could end up in the top 15 in the country but not even be in a bowl game, period. Mm -hmm. And Chad Pennington and company lead a huge comeback and a pass to Eric Pinkerton right at the end of the game. Four seconds left. Marshall takes the lead, gets the win, goes on to just clobber Brigham Young in the bowl game. You had the amazing uh, GMAC Bowl win over East Carolina after trailing 38-8 to eight at halftime in that game. So many uh, crazy games like that. Basketball, the uh, Conference USA Championship in 2018, and going on to beat Wichita State in the tournament, that, that is certainly a career highlight as well. Steve Cotton with us here on Sports View. Steve, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Sure thing, Andrew. Yep, Andrew Rogers here with you on Sports View. When we come back, we'll have the Marshall Sports Update. Justin Zimmer recaps Cross Country's last meet, and then Ben Cower will be sitting here talking with Marshall Softball next on Sports View.